So this morning, um, we have a, uh, some special guest speakers that are going to come and speak today. So if you can, um, can you welcome Pastor Brian and Miss Leah? Morning, everybody. It's good to see you. It's good to be here. Winter finally came. It's the way life should be, I guess. I don't know about the eight below part, but um, finally got some snow. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for your grace, your kindness, your generosity over us. I thank you, Lord, for your favor. I thank you, Lord, that you knew us, have known us before the foundations of the earth were established. And you knew this day was coming. And you've been preparing us for such a time as this. And so, Lord, we declare that in spite of what our emotions may say and our feelings, our thoughts, worries and concerns, we trust, Lord, that you know and have prepared this moment and us for this moment. Not just this hour that we'll be together, but for this season, this intersection in time where you've equipped us for this, for this season and you've placed us in this region on purpose. And so, Father, we look up from our routines. We look up from all the things that we're involved in in the day-to-day life that we live. And we just simply ask, Lord, what are you up to? What are you doing? We're not just interested, Lord, in what you're desiring out of this season. It's the reason that we live. And so, Lord, with great joy, we look into your word today because we know that in your word there's life everlasting. Truth springs forth from your word and it changes our life. And so we yield ourselves to you this morning. We thank you for your, your strength, your wisdom, and clear thoughts. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you just repeat this after me? I like to do this before I speak. I do it for myself, but I want to do it for you too. Just repeat this after me. Dear God, give me ears to hear what your spirit is saying. And give me eyes to see what you are doing. Give me a mind to understand what you are saying. Give me a heart to receive what you are giving and give me the grace to respond to live it out. Amen. So, here we go. Thanks, Kim. So, my wife has done what she usually does and she writes everything down and she has an amazing amount of material 
of which, if they were my notes, it would take me six years to preach it all. <laughs> so, um, this is not a season about, um, really about either one of us, but it really is a season about where God is taking us as a couple. Um, and it looks differently than what it's done, has most of our life. Um, and I'm really um, excited about what God is doing in my wife as I hear her interacting with uh, especially the ladies in the church and the different things that are happening in prayer and different things that she's tuned into regionally and then around the, the uh, nation and actually uh, all over the world. Um, I know that God is up to something, and that's part of what you're going to hear this morning. Um, but let me just open with this thought. Um, she asked me for, you know, what was happening in me and our desire would have been or is to blend those things together so that out of this morning comes something cohesive. Um, and I said, there's a few things that um, that God's been speaking to me. And uh, the, the, the biggest one, I guess you would say, or the most kind of loudest thing is that love is the greatest. Love is the greatest. It's like, okay, so what does that mean? Um, well, it's Valentine's Day. You're supposed yeah. to say that, right? First Corinthians chapter 13, we know, is the love chapter. And it says, Though that I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. Though I bestow all of my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but I have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long it is and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up. It does not behave rudely. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. It thinks no evil. It does no, not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth. It bears all things, it believes all things, it hopes all things, it endures all things. Verse 8 is awesome. It says, love never fails. Well, actually, if you just kind of took what we just read, we could pretty much spend a lifetime trying to figure out how to do that. That's a, that's a, that's a big list. And there's a lot of adjustments that need to make when you move over from self and allow love to become a, a, an intimate part of, of your life. So love never fails, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I came, became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. And now abide faith, hope, and love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. And then 14.1 says, Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. So out of this last season for us, there's several things that have been coming to the surface, and that's what has inspired this sermon, message, talk, 
I don't know, whatever, musings, whatever you want to call it. Drawing near. Intimacy. I felt um, for, for several months now, this term came out of some of my workplace, uh, managing the guys that I manage, um, a sense of urgency. I'm learning about working with some that have no sense of urgency. And that amounts to pretty much showing up and wanting to collect a paycheck, but probably not producing much in the process. That's miserable when you're the boss. So if we take that sense of urgency and bring it down to our relationship with God, is there a sense of urgency about us becoming what he's destined us to be? Because our, our walk of love with him is a two-way street. It's a giving and a receiving. It's not something that we just keep giving or that we keep receiving from him. That's kind of an entitlement thing. God, you owe me. I deserve to be loved by you, etc. So a sense of urgency is a big one for me. And then the, the overarching responsibility of being watchmen over our region. That, that I, don't know, I don't want to call it a demand, but that sense of responsibility never leaves. This is uh, one of the responsibilities or the passions of this church overall is that we're watchmen over this region. It's not just about us, and it's not just about celebration life or, or what's going on within the four walls of this, this room, but it's what we're encountering when we leave this place that causes us to be a body that understands that we have a, a responsibility for this region as it concerns the things of God. And then understanding that glory follows order in that it may seem like it's taking forever for you to get positioned or to be in the place where you're being effective or useful. But God's putting things in order in us individually. How many times have we gone through little battles that have caused us angst or, or just emotions of frustration or just anger because we can't seem to get personally past our insecurities or our fears or our anger and, and it seems like we just get uh, good for one moment and something happens and we blow it again and we're going through this cycle of sometimes just craziness or whatever. But God is truly setting things in order. I feel that very strongly for this season, that God is setting things in order. He's establishing order in this house because He's not just doing what He's doing right now. He's preparing us to do what He has called us to do. And that's not just some futuristic date. Tomorrow morning He has something for us to accomplish. But there has to be a sense of urgency about what God is about or we'll continually miss what he has planned for the next moment. So that's the introduction. That's probably about all I'm going to get to. Go for it. I'll give you sister. Some more time. Don't all worry. right. Thank you. So today, if, if we're going to have a title, it would be Falling in Love. That's what's been on my heart for weeks, for months. Falling in Love. And today it's appropriate. Like Pastor Quentin said, romance, love is in the air. We set the atmosphere on Valentine's Day, do we not? Do we not do flowers, candy, uh, uh, candles, the dinner, all of that? We set an atmosphere to love, for love to be a part of. 
And so what we're going to talk about today is setting that atmosphere, creating a place, falling in love. So she said that flowers and all of that is what Except Valentine's is all about. She hates flowers. Except for me. <laughs> you could get me a dust buster that's yeah. really good. <laughs> She's one that you can practical, truly give a, um, functional a blender practical. to, and it, it's like works. Yeah, when they preach about women hate that, I'm like, not me. So what we have traditionally done for um, Valentine's Day for years now. And the reason is I look at the price tag of a dozen roses, and I just can't do it because they're going to die anyway, especially in my house, because they do not live in my house. So my daughter is wired just like I am, and she's... Um, just a hugger and a relational, just whatever. She'll sit on the couch for hours and let me hold her. And um, so I send her flowers. Yeah. Every so day. we put the money there, the investment wife. there. And for some reason, that, that means more to Leah than getting them herself. So there you go. As it does. So, falling in love. So it doesn't always look the same no, for doesn't. everybody. No, it doesn't. And even with our relationship with Jesus, we have to be careful not to say, this is where I love you, this is how you love me, that we say, no, that's the way you got to do it, and you got to do it, and you got to do it. We allow him, he's created us and made us who we are, and his love for us is individual for us. So, you know, I, I spoke at the um, Midcoast Christian Academy, Noah and Austin go there. I spoke there a few weeks ago, and right before I spoke there, I had read an article in Reader's Digest, and I want to kind of open up with that. It was this social psychology researcher, Arthur Aaron, of the Interpersonal Relationships Lab at Stony Brook University in New York. And he published his results in the Experimental Generation of Interpersonal Closeness. He did a study where he took total strangers into a lab. He had these strangers ask each other 36 increasingly personal questions. It started out kind of surface and it ended up with the 36 question being very personal. These questions brought vulnerability and a level of intimacy. And then, after these questions, they had to stare into each other's eyes for four minutes. Straight. Try that sometime. I don't know if we've ever done that. Can I try it? <laughs> Not today. Uh, his stuff. I got a headache. <laughs> Maybe later. Yeah. Uh, his thought she was that... She's taking me away today. So. I am. His birthday is Tuesday, and he's going to be 50, so we're celebrating Valentine's birthday today. Yep. His thought, Dr. Aaron's thought, was that if intimacy and trust through these personal questions could be generated, followed by a very personal and vulnerable staring into each other's eyes, then love would be able to grow and thrive, and these two strangers would actually fall in love. One couple that I, know, that I read about in that group actually did. I think he had five couples. And one couple, total strangers before this time, 50 minutes later, they fell in love. So, now these questions, I know Valentine's Day is husband, wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, but these questions also could be used because intimacy and love happens between friendships, those kinds of things. Many times we think intimacy has to do with physical. It's a very small, minute part of what intimacy really is. You know, at the beginning of this year, I sat down with our, our family, 
And a lot of times at the beginning of a year, we feel like there's a theme for our family and we talk about it. And so I have three boys living in my house, three teenage boys and Brian. So I sit down and I'm like, so I feel like God is sharing with us the word for this year is intimacy. <laughs> like, like that's really a weird word, you know, to share with three Woo! teenage boys. Woo, yay. What does that mean? <laughs> so it has way more, way more to do because you can be physical with somebody and not be intimate at all. Happens too much in our society. So we're going to talk today about that. So these questions could be used to build closeness. Here's, here's an examples of some of the questions. Would you like to be famous? In what way? For what in your life do you feel most grateful? If you could change anything about the way you were raised, what would it be? Take four minutes and tell your partner your life story in as much detail as possible. If you knew that in one year you would die suddenly, would you change anything about the way you are now living? And why? And how do you feel about your relationship with your mother? Those are something that that's quite a personal question. But those are some of the questions that were on this 36 list of people getting to know one another. We did not fall in love by asking 36 questions. (laughs) How do you feel about your mother-in-law? Well, they they aren't married yet. They aren't in love yet. They aren't married yet. They can't, you know, that wouldn't work. So we did not fall in love by uh, staring into one another's eyes. You know, you probably tried because he is a romanticist more than I am. I'm a factual, what's functional, what's practical, and let me think this through more than the emotional. So I don't know if you want to give a little brief. Well, you have to understand that when she she was raised by her dad, and when I met him, obviously her mom, but her dad, we called him the original stick man. Because you try to hug him, and it's like hugging a board. You know, like nothing there. You know, his heart was in the right place. But um, so, yeah, so being raised in, in that kind of, you know, imagine if your dad's just not a hugger, you know, you're just. So in the mornings, you know, when I leave for work, I always make it, a, you know, a, an intentional part of my routine to go find her and give her a hug. And um, so some mornings we have more time than others. And so might get 30 seconds other than, you know, four seconds. But when we're in a hurry, this is what she does to me. One, it's always this kind of like side thing, you know, where it's like, okay, I'm really in a hurry. And you can, you know, I know you have to do this. So she hugs me like this and she'll be like, okay. And then it's, then she does this. Watch my hand. That's it. She's reached the limit and we're done. So I literally, I literally have to, I literally have to do this to her. Put your thingy down. You can imagine me staring into his eyes for four minutes, right? Thirty years later, I'm still teaching her how to hug. But we did fall in love. Patience is (laughs) patience. Patience is a virtue. We did fall in love back when we Bible college days. He told me two weeks after meeting me. So we didn't need, he didn't need any questions. I fell in love. She took her sweet time. He fell in love and told me on my birthday, two weeks after he met me, I love you. And I was like, you don't know me. I don't know you. How do you know you love me? And it took a, quite a few months later for me to think it through. You took your time. <laughs> Figure it out. But we did it. We made it. And 30 years later, here we are. But I do believe that trust and intimacy 
our feelings that love need to thrive. And on Valentine's Day, like I said before, we set the atmosphere so love can thrive. But a lot of times we have Valentine's Day, and it's this big day, and then tomorrow comes. Do we continue with the one that we love, setting an atmosphere, showing our love, giving our love? Do we continue? Is this a one-day thing with God? Is this a one-time, is this a church Sunday morning thing where, we, where it really, really is easy? We might think it's not. It might be awkward, but it really is easy to enter into a corporate setting of worship, and we love you, Jesus, and the music's going, and singers are leading us. Well, we're letting them lead us. Through the week, do we lead ourselves into his presence, intimacy, getting to know him. The lady that wrote the article in Reader's Digest, her name was Mandy Lynn Catron. She had read this research thing. So she wrote an article about it, and she actually, it wasn't a total stranger, but it was a very surface acquaintance that him and her sat together, did this 36 questions, looked into each other's eyes and fell in love and married, have a baby now. She wrote at the end of the article, Love didn't happen to us. We are in love because we made the choice to be in love. It didn't just happen. We made a choice. We became intentional. So the question for today, the thoughts for today, the heart for today is, are we making the choice to love, to be in love, and to be loved? Are we creating a place of trust and intimacy in our own lives for God? with God. Intimacy is an intentional act, and it's more than sexual. Intimacy is letting you know me, who I am from the inside. Nothing to hide. Hiding nothing. That's what intimacy is. Letting you get close enough to know me. When you have that with somebody, whether it's your spouse or or you have intimacy with a friend, then love is able to really thrive. Because you might want to love somebody, but if there's no intimacy, if somebody's closed off and says, you're really not going to get to know me, then that love is not really going to thrive and be deep. And many times we do that with one another. We do that with God. So God is, and I've shared this with our boys at home, I've shared this with Brian, that I really feel like this is a season that God is calling each one of us individually and personally, personally to him. He's saying, I want you. Come to me. I'm inviting you into me. He's opening up for intimacy with us. And he's saying, I want you to know me. Come. He's calling us. He's calling us to know him. So are we willing to ask questions to God? In the Bible, you find questions like, who is like you? You find questions like, where else can I go? Where am I going to go, God? Or how long do I have to wait, God? Are we willing to ask him? Are we willing to sit and ask him questions about anything, about himself, about our our lives? Are we willing to stop and say, you know what? I want to fall in love with you. I want to know who you are, Jesus. I want to know who you are, God. The challenge that we face with intimacy is that there is a fear of going below the surface. We have become a culture that has mastered the art of staying superficial. We stay on the surface. Our relationships um, require a minimal amount of interaction so that we can protect ourselves 
from the inevitable encounter when you linger. That's why that morning hug, you know, there's a, there's a timeline we're on. There's a schedule that we're about to have to go to work, stuff we got to do. But that intimacy is a choice, even if it's just a four-second hug or a 30-second hug. Sometimes you get a kiss out of the deal. That's a big choice. A scary choice in the sense that we're going to miss work now. Most often not. So one of the things, too, even in the, in the spiritual, as God is pulling us and calling us to him, he also, at least with me, he works in the natural with my relationships, with, with him, with my children, with those around me. He works in that, too, because I don't think God is calling us to do things with him. And then we just kind of do whatever we want to do with those around us. It doesn't work that way. When he's doing something with us, it flows out. Like he says, we love him, we love others. It flows out. And so a few weeks ago, I was really proud of myself because typically I am. I'm just a very practical person. I am get the things done, the task-oriented, whatever. And I have to tell myself, okay, just balance here, balance. You have people living in your home, you know, and so balance. And so the other morning, um, I was, it was a morning, and a lot of times he'll get his coffee, he'll sit down on the couch with his coffee and his bowl of cereal, bowl of nutty nuggets. Every <laughs> and morning. Uh, every morning, same thing. And um, so I come down, I get my glass of water, and I'm emptying the dishwasher, and I'm doing this. I can do these kinds of things before I get, have to leave. And um, so I was in there doing a bunch of stuff, thinking, okay, I need to get this stuff done because it was my day to stay home. And I wanted to be, when, when everybody left, I wanted to have my time. And so I need to get things done so I can have my time. And so he's in there sitting, and it's like the Holy Spirit said, okay, you know, I call you to come into intimacy with me, and I want you, but your husband's sitting in there. Go sit down. So I put everything down, and I just walked in the room, and I just sat in the I don't know if we said anything that morning uh, or whatever, but we just, it was just, I was there. I chose to say, I'm just going to sit with him. I'll get these things done. And um, so it's those choices that when God calls us, it's not just for us to be changed. It's for us to be able to let what he's putting in us flow out to others and let our other relationships be changed. And be careful that intimacy has to look a certain way. Yeah. Because a lot of times we put ourselves into molds that that don't. If if I really tried to force her into a mold that wasn't really her, she would be the most miserable person on the planet. After 30 years, we've kind of melded our relationship together in that she's given, you know, some and I've given some in the sense of what my expectations are versus what her expectations are. And trust me, God knows you better than you know yourself. And so if you're trying to twist yourself into a pretzel to do something as far as getting closer to him, that is just so horribly uncomfortable and not you at all. It's probably you just trying to conform to somebody else's expectations. So let that intimacy flow out of your heart and who you are. And and if sitting with your bowl of cereal and coffee in the morning and spending it, I sit there for an hour most mornings. And uh, in the process, I'm listening to music. Sometimes I listen to a message. Sometimes I'm just letting uh, my... Uh, the scripture be there for me or whatever, but it doesn't look the same every day. Some days I'm just not in the mood for a specific thing, and I feel like it's because 
That's part of the way that he interacts with me and he leads me in a certain direction. Some mornings I just sit there and don't do anything but drink my coffee. It's about all I can do. And, and a lot of times that's the morning she shows up and she'll sit in her chair and just sit there talking, you know, and I'm listening. It's, the, it's just that spot um, where, where I'm kind of alert and attentive before I go off into to what my day looks like now. And so be careful that your, your quest for intimacy um, doesn't become what somebody else expects of you. Let God do that work in you and let it become what is meaningful. There's things that are meaningful to you. God can invade whatever space that you've created, you know, whatever place that you set aside, whatever spot is, is, is meaningful for you. You know, you might be a person that likes to go ice fishing and that ice shack out on the lake, you know, that can be one of those places where it's just, it's quiet, you're by yourself, maybe with a friend, and there's things that are going to happen in that moment or in that time that you've set aside that doesn't necessarily have to be in a closet with the door shut and, you know, whatever war room prayer lady or whatever did. So be careful about conforming yourself just into what the I'd say typical expectation of what intimacy looks like, um, that may or may not be what God has in, in, in store for you. And you could leave yourself an incredibly frustrated um, yes. journey. Yes, with guilt and condemnation that you're not doing it right. He's not into guilt and condemnation. He just isn't. He'll, he'll convict you. If something's wildly out of order in your life, he'll bring conviction to that. And you'll know that it's him because you'll want to change. Because the, the most part of that is allowing him to draw you. Woo you. It's a word we don't really use very much, but lovers woo, you know, men woo their husbands, they, uh, their wives. They, they woo them, they draw them, and they, they let the love just pour out of them to draw the one they love close. Allow the Holy Spirit to do that with you. So questions that we might ask or that he might ask us, these are questions he asks in the Bible. Are we willing to let him ask the questions of who do people say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Who am I to you? So just for a minute, anybody want to give me some words or thoughts of what, what to describe God, to describe Jesus? What are some words that you think of when you think of God or Jesus? Jehovah Jireh. Happy? Peace? Hmm? Leader? Friends? Faith? Love. Okay, so all of a sudden, things are coming up. Okay, this, these are words that describe God. This, these are words that describe Jesus. Now take it a step further. This is what I have really begun to do even deeper in my life. Take it a step further and say, okay, so those are all the words that we know. This, we know who you are these things. We know this is who you are. But who have you been to me? And I think of a situation, and I think of a spot, and I think of a place, and I think, Right there, that's who you were to me. So it becomes more than out here, this is who we know you are, and it becomes a very personal. This is a way to go into, and to be intimate, is begin to say, and I know who you are out here. This is who you have been to me. And Jesus asked that of Peter and them. Okay, so this is who everybody else is saying I am, but who do you say that I am? Who am I to you personally? Because it's easy for us to say, yes, God is this, God is that. But go a little bit deeper. When you go into your prayer time, when you go into your time with God, go a little bit deeper and say, wait a minute, who have you really been to me? 
What is the one word that I could say about you, that you've been this to me my whole life? Tender. And so you go in there. What was that one? Faithful. Helpful. Protector. And so what you do is you take those words that came from in here because you've lived it. You've experienced that. You take that in your time when you want to become intimate and you say, this is, you, you just say it back to him. You just put it out there. You have been so faithful. You might repeat that word for a little while until you realize and, and he begins to just pour it back on you. So we, are we willing to ask those questions? Are we willing to let him ask us questions? Are we willing to look at him? You know, I told the kids at school, I'm like, so, um, you know, how do we look at God, you know? Um, how, how do we actually look into his eyes? Can we look at him? Can we see him beyond the distractions? Can we look away from our circumstances and look to him and say, this is happening, but I want to look to you. Do you want to read Hebrews? You have that one. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to read two verses out of Hebrews. 11.26 will be the first one. I think. I don't know if, if Aubrey had a chance. I gave him to her way last minute to put him on there. No, okay. Dad. Are you there? I can get it. I didn't have it highlighted. Sorry. Okay, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. This was Moses, talking about Moses. So the looked to, when you see that look to there, he was looking at, and all the riches and the treasures in Egypt, suffering for Christ was way greater to him than living in with the treasures of Egypt. He looked to the reward. And to do so, you look away from something else. Something's always going to have our attention. Something's always going to be vying for our attention. So there's a choice that we have to make. If we're going to put our affection on Christ and to look toward him and to be intimate with him, there is going to be a literal choice that takes place, and actually on a regular basis, because it's so easy to become enamored with our life and or just bogged down or just challenged or just committed to our our everyday life and so it is a choice to look away from all the stuff even to set aside our the stuff that is just our routine of busy stuff like she described before uh, that morning where she was uh, just cleaning and doing her thing um, to come and sit uh, with with me that morning so you look away from everything else to look intently on one object hebrews 12 2 So looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of of the throne of God. So again, the intention here is looking away from to see. The word signifies undivided attention. Looking away from all the distractions in order to fix your gaze on one object, having eyes for no one else. Psalm 27, 4 through 6 says, One thing that I have desired of the Lord, that, and that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion, and in the secret place of his tabernacle he shall hide me, and he shall set, he shall set me high upon the rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, 
Therefore, I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle, and I will sing. Yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. When you are hearing him call you and you go to your intimate place, these are scriptures you can pull out and you can read to him and say, I'm choosing right now that I have eyes for no one else but you. I, one thing I ask is to gaze on your beauty because when we're fascinated with who he is, when we are fascinated with his beauty and who he is, we, he read it in verses 5 and 6, we get lifted up above our enemies and we are able to sing for joy no matter what's going on around us. And we are, he brings us up and he brings us out. So we choose to say, God, I do want to see you. I do want to know you. You know, in Exodus and all, you read about Moses and what he did. Moses was in the desert after he had fled from Egypt. He had killed the the soldier. He fled from Egypt. He got married, working in his father-in-law's, taking care of his sheep. He was in the desert. And he's walking through the desert. And at that time, bushes would would catch on fire. I mean, he's in the desert. These bushes were, you know, little scraggly things. So a bush catches on fire. Moses just happened to stop at this one. The angel of the Lord, it says, was in the bush. But he stopped and he said, let me see what's going on. He turned aside to see. So when Moses turned aside to see what was happening with that bush, because this bush was not being consumed, it was not burning up like the other ones usually do. When he turned aside to see, that's when God began to speak to him. God was inviting Moses. I'm doing something different here. It might look like, oh, it's just another burning bush, but I'm actually in this, and I'm doing something different. And I want you to see, Moses. I want you to come into relationship with me. So nothing happened until Moses drew near and turned aside. There was no voice. God didn't speak. Nothing happened until he drew near and turned aside. James 4.8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. When Moses turned aside to see, then God spoke and it began a lifelong relationship between him and Moses. God began to show Moses his heart and his ways, not just his acts. When Moses did this, that's when God said, hey, this is who I am. That's when God commissioned him. That's when God said, this is what I want you to do. But Moses had to take that act and stop and say, yeah, this seems to be normal. But something's pulling me to this. Don't not pay attention when the Holy Spirit is pulling you. How many times, how many times has the Holy Spirit whispered, come here, draw near. I want to speak to you. I want to love on you. I just want you to be with me. I know he has to me many times. And I'm like, okay, okay, just wait. It's kind of like my husband, you know, wanting to hug me or wanting to be with me or wanting to be near me. And I'm let me get this done. I've got that okay. finger so many times. Got to wash the right finger for those of you listening to the podcast, the index finger. Um, so um, I'm like, oh, I got to get the dishes done. I can't go to bed without the dishes done or whatever. Wait. You know, how many times have we done that to Jesus? Got to get this done. We just wait. I'm, I'm doing this. I'm, I got to get to church this morning. I just want to love on you this morning. I, I just, come here. I've got something I want to show you. I've got something I want to tell you. If Moses hadn't turned aside, I don't know if God would have spoken to him. God was saying, I want you to stop, look away from everything, and I want you to see me right there. And then God began to speak to him. And from that point on, God began to speak to Moses over and over. They had a relationship to where the point where Moses would say, If you ain't going somewhere, God, I ain't going. 
I'm not going to go without your presence because I've done that before and I don't want to do it. I don't want to live like that anymore. Moses began to know God's heart, God's ways. He began to know not what God did, but why he did it. That's what I want to know. That's what I'm praying that God would begin to draw the hearts, draw your hearts to say, don't just know what God does, but know why he does what he does. Know his heart behind something. And that happens with time. I mean, my husband, somebody could be saying something about him or that, you know, I don't understand why he does that or says that. And I could say, well, you know, I know on the outward it may look kind of like what? I know his heart. I know why he's doing what he's doing. I know why he maybe works the way he does. He shared it with our kids, you know. This is why I'm doing what I do. Because I see a plan. And God says, I want you to see my plan. I want you to know my heart. Time also can work against us. There's that whole layer of familiarity. And a lot of times we become familiar with our spouse or those that are close to us. And we begin to take them for granted. And actually we let other things come in to take away that sense of, of you know, I'm not always enamored with my wife. I'm not always enamored with my wife. Sometimes I don't even want to be with her. Sometimes I would like to take my ring and throw it at her. I can't get it off, so it doesn't, doesn't work. So It's just there for good. In the moments of day-to-day life and routine, we get, we get uh, familiar with one another. We take one another for granted. We get frustrated, etc. Those are all very real human emotions. That's not how I feel about my wife and my heart of hearts and in my core. And trust me. I better not act on those very often. Hallelujah. But the bottom line is, um, you know, in my heart of hearts, I think my wife is a very cool person. You know, she's good looking. She's amazing. She's great. (laughs) And uh, it's Valentine's Day. So all the right answers. So and the truth of the matter is, I do want to be near her because of those reasons. But the truth is, when I saw her the very first time, my sister was up to something. She knew her and she was already at Bible college. My my sister pointed her out to me and she was standing in a group of people in the whole like in a church sanctuary and worship was going on. And I saw her in the midst of all these people with her, her arms raised worshiping. And I didn't see her face. So it wasn't the, her beauty that, you know, blew my mind initially. It was that what my sister had told me about her. And then with her not even realizing that anybody was watching, this is what she was about. And the Holy Spirit just said, you need to go after that, buddy. So I didn't waste any time when he tells me what to do. I just do it, right? So, so anyway, that uh, beware of that that uh, that time together. You know, that time can can uh, work against you if you're not careful. And even uh, your time with the Lord. You know, we we have all this great intentions when we first get born again, and this love for Him is just so deep and so real, or it seems so deep and so real. But then time can happen and disappointments come and stuff gets in the way. And all of a sudden, 
that fervency and that intimacy can slip into something else. And actually, it can start to become contempt. You know, think about relationships that, that you have and even friends that you've gotten familiar with and, and have known for a long time. How many times um, is it easy to get into a place where you take that person for granted and, and treat them differently, much differently than you have in the beginning? You don't see God the same way that you used to. He always sees you the same way. He always loves mm-hmm. you. He's always longing for you. His desire is always for you. I think something that helped me in my personal walk with those feelings and those thoughts is when I started to realize that God thinks that I'm the coolest person on the planet. And he does. He does. He thinks you are the most amazing person on the planet. He created you. You're like, I don't like the way I am. Are you kidding me? He made you the way he made you. He loves the way you interact. He loves the way you think. He loves the way you process. He loves the way that you love. Don't compare yourself to somebody else. There, there are times, certainly, when there's adjustments because we've become something other than what he's destined for us to become. But make those adjustments and understand that he loves you because love is the greatest thing. He said it. It's the greatest. It's the greatest part of the whole God equation yes, it is. is love. And he loves you with no reservation. He loves you past your faults. He loves you past your inconsistencies. He loves you past all the stuff that you have done wrong. He loves you in spite of yourself. Amen? He does. That's God. He loves us. So I'm going to read a few scriptures that show us. These are just a few that are in there that show us how much he loves us. Isaiah 30:18. Therefore, the Lord will wait. Actually, I'm going to read it out of the Amplified here. Therefore, the Lord earnestly waits, expecting, looking, and longing to be gracious to you. And he lifts himself up that he may have mercy on you and show loving kindness to you. For he is a God of justice. And blessed are all those who wait for him, who expect and look and long for him. That's one of them. He's longing and waiting to be gracious. Jeremiah 31.3. The Lord has appeared of old to me, saying, I have loved you. Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. Psalm 139, 1 through 4. You have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down. You know when I get up. You understand my thoughts from afar off. You comprehend my path. You know when I lie down. You know when I'm walking. You are acquainted with all of my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, but you, God, you know it before I even speak it. Do I have another scripture for that? Yes. So this is down in verse 17. So he starts out.